You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Judges chapter 15 tonight. It's been good to be in church today. Thank you for your faithfulness to the house of God. And we're thankful for how God worked and moved in hearts this morning. We're wanting God to do it again tonight. We're going to have a lot of fun here in just a minute. But I'm glad you could sense it during the singing and even during the offertory that uh, we know what the main thing is. And I appreciate that. And I'm looking forward. I want God to speak to me tonight. I'm praying it will be a help to us. Judges chapter number 15. And if you're able to stand, stand with me. We'll read verse 14 down through the end of the chapter. A familiar a uh, man in the scripture, maybe not as familiar a part of his life, though I'm sure you've read this many times before, but let's look at it together here in Judges chapter 15 and verse number 14. The Bible says this, And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosed from off his hands. We're talking about Samson. And he found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of an ass, I have slain a thousand men. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called that place Ramoth Lehi. Now in the margin of my Bible, it tells me that that Title or that name for this hill is the uh, lifting up of the jawbone. But there's another name in the margin of my Bible. It said it could also mean this, and I'll mention it in just a moment. Verse 18, And he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. But God, I put a parenthesis around those two words, isn't God good to us? We complain and we make the mistake and we blame God for it, and yet God in His grace and mercy comes and fixes the problem. But God clave in a hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout. And when He had drunk, His spirit came again, and He revived. Wherefore He called the name thereof in Hakor, which is in Lehi unto this day. And He judged Israel in the days of the Philistines twenty years. Samson has been taken to the Philistines, and the Bible says that he was bound. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. If you've ever had that experience, you know if you've had it, you want to have it again. I'm glad as a New Testament believer, the Holy Spirit resides within us always. There's an indwelling of the Spirit that never leaves, but there's a filling of the Spirit. And whenever the power of God comes upon your life, if you ever experience that, you're going to want to experience it all the time. The hand of God comes upon Samson and he breaks off those bands as though they were flax flax burned with fire. He sees a jawbone of an ass, the jawbone of a donkey. The Bible said a new jawbone. It wasn't brittle, it wasn't weathered, but it was able to be used as a weapon. And he picks up that jawbone and he begins to smite the Philistines. He didn't have a weapon of mass destruction, but he caused mass destruction with the weapon. I'm glad God does not need something big or something mighty. God just needs somebody to step out by faith and serve him. He picks up that jawbone, begins to swing, and he lays those Philistines in heaps, body upon body, piled high, the enemies of God. God just met Samson's need through the jawbone. 
he begins to sing the praises of the jawbone. And in fact, he kind of names that hill maybe out of mockery to the Philistines who worshipped in high places. He said, well, here's a high place for you, the lifting up of the jawbone. So they'd never forget that day. But there's another way that you can title that, Ramoth Lehi, the lifting up of the jawbone. But the margin of my Bible also said, or you could call it the casting away of the jawbone. Because in verse number 17, the Bible said as Samson was singing the praises of the jawbone in verse 16 and verse 17, after he had sang its praises, he quickly cast it away. After he casts it away, the result is in verse 18, all of a sudden he becomes fearful. He begins to question God. He wasn't scared of a thousand spears, and now he's scared of not having a drink of water after he cast away the jawbone. He threw away that which God had had his hand on, and it made him weak. For a little while this evening, I want to preach on this thought. Don't be so quick to cast it all away. If God has blessed it before, God's going to bless it again. In fact, that jawbone that brought the victories, the jawbone that became the well that kept him living later on in the text. Don't be so quick to cast it all away. Let's pray. God, I pray for your power and help. I pray you'd help our church tonight. I pray you'd help us, uh, Lord, in our personal lives, our homes, our marriages, also as our church, uh, in direction thereof. I pray that you'd help us just to be uh, settled. We're not going to cast away that which God has had his hand upon. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. America is absolutely a culture of consumerism. Much of the things we use are disposable. Most of the cups and the plates, the fine china is made by uh, Tupperware and things of that nature. It's all just disposable. And we've been taught this because of our culture that we'll just use something and then we're quick to throw it away. And I don't mean we use it and then use it and use it, but often the case is we use it one time. And without even thinking about it, because we've been so blessed, we just simply cast it or throw it away. In fact, I was reading on uh, uh, Wikipedia, preacher, and here's what Wikipedia taught me. We're so blessed in America that we are able to take 50% of our edible food, 50% of food fit to eat, and we just simply throw it in the trash. That's how blessed we are. We just throw it away. Most of what we use is made out of plastic. Some of you might remember the days when things were made otherwise, but most of what we use is plastic. Your car, your automobile is probably 90% plastic. And Brother Shilton, you would know this. You can't be a shade tree mechanic anymore if you have a modern vehicle. It's all computers and things. But we don't make things to last. We simply make things to be thrown away. Things are just made cheaply. And we've been conditioned by this culture of consumerism to buy something, use it, and without giving any thought to it, we just throw whatever it is in the garbage. In 1955, Life Magazine published an article. In the August edition of Life Magazine 1955, they used a term that's been used over and over since, but they sort of coined the term. And as they wrote that article about American culture, they coined the term and described our nation as being a throwaway society. Have you ever heard that term before, a throwaway society? And what it means is we're a nation that does not give much thought to simply taking something, whether it's broken or not, and just casting it to the side and getting something new or something fresh or something that excites us. We're a throwaway society. And I don't think that you would debate it with me tonight that America is a throwaway nation. Now, I'm not just talking about the coffee cups in the office that are 
what is it, 89 cents, 39 cents a piece? Now, I'm not just talking about the paper plates and things of that nature, but commodities, we just throw it away. That's why Apple has to come out with a new iPhone every year, because we get tired of the old one and we want a new one. That's why most of us have a shoe closet, not with just a pair of shoes, not just our Sunday shoes and our athletic shoes, but we have a closet that is filled with shoes. Why? We're not content. We just throw things away. Sadly, America doesn't just throw away commodities. You mentioned it this morning. We throw away our children. I mean, through abortion and things of that nature. Morality out the window and principle out the window. And it's concerning that America is a throwaway society. But how much more concerning than a throwaway culture or a throwaway country is a throwaway church or throwaway Christians? I read a statement a little bit ago yesterday, I believe it was, it said, never throw away substance for shadow. But that's exactly where we're living in 2022. It happens on every corner. It happens in every city. It happens in every state. It happens in every home. We are so quick to throw away that which is substantial for that which is shallow and that which is absolutely shadow. I want us to think tonight on this thought. Don't be so quick to throw it all away. Billy Sunday used to use the illustration of a man that took all of his life and invested it in a pearl. All the money he had attained, he bought one pearl with that money. He was going to go to Europe and retire and live. That pearl represented his entire life. That man put that pearl inside of a brass box. And then he thought, I'm going to put it inside of a steel box so it's safer. So he took that pearl, put it in a brass box, and then in a steel box so it would be safe. That man boarded a ship to Europe. He got into his room and he slid that steel box with that uh, brass box and that pearl under his bed. That man went up on the deck of the ship and began to walk around. And as he did, being a single man, he saw a group of ladies there. Let me stop and say to the young men, you'll never do anything dumber than what you do around ladies when you're a young man. Say amen right there. He thought, I've got to impress these ladies. What can I do? There was a barrel of apples right there by those ladies. He thought, I know what I'll do. Preacher said, I thought, I'll juggle some of these apples. They'll be in I mean, every lady's looking for a man who can juggle, I guess. He said, I'll juggle these apples. He grabbed out an apple, began to throw it in the air. He threw it high and caught it. And of course, they began to ooh and all. He threw it and spun in a circle and caught it. It. You can just dun dun dun. I mean, it's it's awesome. He was throwing those apples around. Then he grabbed another apple and then another one, throwing them in the air and catching them. And the ladies were impressed. He thought to himself, I know it'll impress those ladies. He went and said, hang on, ladies, I'll be back in a minute. He ran down the stairs to his cabin. He ran into his room. He slid under his bed. He grabbed out that steel box. He opened it up. Inside of that steel box was that brass box. He opened it up. Inside of that brass box, was that pearl that represented everything that he had. He took that pearl and he ran back on top of the deck of the ship. The ladies saw him coming with the pearl and they said, sir, what's that? And he said, that's my entire life. That's everything I have. It's represented in this pearl. They said, that's impressive. He said, that's nothing. Watch this. He took that pearl and began to throw it in the sky. He began to throw that pearl and twist and turn and he'd catch it and those ladies were saying, hey, that's enough, sir. You're going to lose it. He said, I'll never lose it. I'm sure-handed. I, I don't have to worry about dropping it. Watch this. And higher and higher he threw it. Finally, he began to take that pearl and lean out over the edge of the ship. He, the fellows are getting nervous.
service. It's just a story. But he, he took that pearl. He leaned down over the edge of the ship and began to throw it in the sky. He reached out and he caught the pearl. He took it again and he wound up like Nolan Ryan. That Now I'm getting aged. But he threw it up in the sky. It came back down and he caught it right before it go out of the reach of his hand. They said, sir, that's enough. Stop. Don't do it. You're going to drop it. He said, I'll not drop it. I'm sure handed. I know how to catch. You don't have to worry about it. He took it and he threw it up as high as he could. The sun began to get in his eyes and the waves rocked the vessel and that pearl fell and it bobbled in his hand and he caught it. He got kind of cocky. He took that pearl one final time. He wound up as hard as he could. He threw it as high as it would go. He waited and waited for it to come down and as it approached his hand, that boat lurched back and forth in the water. That pearl hit his fingertips, rolled off the edge, plummeted into the depths of the sea. That man fell to his knees and said, what an idiot! I threw it all away. I want you to think with me tonight on that thought. Don't be so quick to throw it all away. The book of Judges spans the period between the death of Joshua and the reign of Saul. These are not days of theocracy, nor are they days of monarchy, but these are days of anarchy. The cause of the anarchy falls on the Levites who are derelict in their duty to expound the Word of God. And let me stop there and say a nation's in trouble when the pulpit's more interested in playtime or game time or entertain time than preaching time. The level of morality and the level of spirituality in a nation is a direct reflection of the level of the pulpit as far as the exaltation of the Word of God. So we find in the book of Judges that Israel is given to sin. They're worshiping idols and they're constantly battling the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. Often they give in to the will of their flesh. They're warring against God. They're battling on every side. God's people are without a king. But God in his goodness raises up these individuals that are known as judges. In fact, if you study the book of Judges, you find it. I think it's a seven-time cycle where Israel goes from rebellion to judgment to deliverance. And let me call the time out and shout right there. I'm glad for that fact about our God. Over and over again, they rebelled and God judged them, but God delivered them. And I'm glad God is still in the delivering business. In fact, that's why God raised up these judges. These judges in days of danger and in days of depravity, God raised up deliverers. These judges are not lawyers. These judges are soldiers. They're champions for God. They're generals, if you will. Their job is to protect the people of God and to perpetuate the promise that God had made to Abraham to his people. Now, when you think about the judges, there's 14 of them. Probably the most well-known of the judges is this man by the name of Samson. Samson's story starts in chapter 13. The angel of the Lord comes to a house by a, a, a couple, a man named Manoah and his wife. His wife is barren to this point, unable to have children. The angel of the Lord tells this barren woman that she's going to give birth to a baby boy. This is interesting because this is the only foretold birth by an angel until you get to the New Testament. They are told that this 
this boy will be peculiar. He'll have a special designation. Their baby will be a Nazarite. That means he has some special obligations or standards placed upon his life. Those would include this. Number one, he could not touch a corpse. Number two, he could not drink a cocktail, if we're going to alliterate. And then number three, he could not get a haircut. So Samson's already peculiar. He's going to have these long flowing locks. He's supposed to abstain from alcohol like every Christian is, and he's not supposed to touch a corpse. Now sadly, Samson transgresses, and he breaks all three of those qualifications during his life. But the key is this. Samson has been set apart to set the pace in his generation, and that has not changed for us. The man or the woman that God will use in 2022 is still going to be one that sets themselves to live at a higher standard on a higher plane and separated from this world. Leadership is not living at the level of everyone else, but it's going higher on the mountain with God. And we find that Samson has been set apart to set the pace. Now, Samson had superhuman strength when he was in the spirit, but he had stereotypical human weakness when he was in his flesh. I call him God's weak strong man. In the spirit, there's no one like him. Out of the spirit, everyone was like him. The enemy without could not touch him, but the enemy within caused his downfall. In fact, when you think about Samson, if you're like me, you probably think about three things. You think about that designation. He's a Nazarite. Then you think about Delilah, that harlot that got him to lay his head on her lap, and he lost his power. And then number three, you think about his death, or he slew more Philistines in his death than he ever did in his life. When you come to chapter 15, it's a chapter that is just packed. If we had more time, we could go through the entire chapter. The first part of the chapter opens up with a warning against marrying wrong. We get insight into the broken home of Samson. Samson's a man that was often driven by his lust and not the Lord. Samson saw a daughter of the Philistines in Timnath that caught his eye. And he transgressed the will of God. And he yoked up unequally with this daughter of the Philistines. And let me say this right here, young people. It is not worth it. I don't care what she he looks like. I don't care what he looks like. If they're not saved, then they're not for you. Say amen right there. You don't need to marry a fixer-upper. You got to get married to a Christian, then buy a fixer-upper. Say amen uh, right there. Samson marries wrong. Samson leaves uh, for a while. We're just kind of going quickly. And while he's gone, the father of this girl gives her to Samson's best man to be his wife. When Samson comes back, he finds out his wife has been given to another, and he's a little bit fired up about that. Samson grabs 300 foxes. I don't know how he caught him. I just know that he caught him. Samson catches 300 foxes. He ties a firebrand in the knot of their tails as he ties their tails together. I always say Samson invented taillights before Henry Ford ever drew breath. He uh, 300 foxes with flaming torches in their tail. Preacher, that'd probably get more shouts in church if we get a flaming torch. Anyway, uh, so... Um, 
I always used to think we should get cattle prods and things like that. But he takes those foxes and lets them loose in the fields of the Philistines. They run through their vineyards. They run through their grain fields and set their fields on fire. In retaliation of that, the Philistines take Samson's wife and her father and they burn them. I don't mean just barely, but they burn them. They, they kill his wife. Now Samson's fired up again and the Bible said that he begins to slay the Philistines. He begins to hit a, a slave. It says here in the text, he smites them hip and thigh. Now, because of that, his brethren get nervous. By the way, you ought never get nervous or back up from a man of God that's taking a stand and causing ripples. If he's doing it right and he's doing it for God, you ought not be ashamed of a maverick or somebody who's taking a stand. 3,000 sorry, backslidden, soft men of Judah come to get Samson and say, Now, listen, Samson, you're causing us all kinds of trouble. We're going to bind you and take you to the Philistines. He goes, All right. So they bind him and take him to the Philistines. When Samson's there in the presence of the Philistines, I like what my Bible said in verse number 14. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, comes mightily upon Samson. The God that used him before is going to use him again. And when the Spirit of God comes on Samson, he breaks off those cords like they were just burnt flags. I mean, flags burnt with fire. And he goes to slaying the Philistines. But here's how. He does not have, I said, a conventional weapon. But he looks over there and sees a jawbone of a donkey, a new jawbone. I mean, it's fresh. He picks up that jawbone, and can you see it in your mind? He begins to smite those Philistines. I mean, there's blood everywhere. He's just letting them have it. He piles them high. The Bible said heaps upon heaps like cordwood are the bodies of these Philistines. Samson wins the day. Samson wins the battle. Now, I was studying that, and I thought of some things. As I read that, I see three things about this story, and I'll give them to you quickly. Number one, there's something about that story that exhorts me to worship. You say, what do you mean? Samson and Brother Bertram could teach you about it. It's a very fitting type of Jesus Christ. And when we see Samson in this text, he's a good picture of our Savior who on a hill for us stacked up our sin in heaps and heaps. All of our fear, all of our heartache, all of our sorrow. You see him there on yonder hill as he's nailed to the cross. He's not losing the day. He's winning the victory. I like what the prophet said, who is this with garments died from Basra? And I can see Samson covered in the blood of the enemy and there's our Savior taking all of our sin and slaying it on a hill. Heaps and heaps and heaps of it piled there on Calvary. It makes me want to worship that he's paid it all and took care of it. Number two, it encourages me to work because if God can use a jawbone he can use you. The preacher preached about the bus ministry this morning. You say, I don't think I'm qualified. No, you're overqualified. If you're breathing air, you're overqualified. Because that's all God's looking for is a warm body that'll get in his will and do something for God. I'm glad if God can use a raven and God can use a donkey, and he still does that in pulpits all across America. Say amen right there. I'm glad he can use you and I. Number three, there's something, though, that incites me to warn us tonight. Because the Bible says in verse number 17, look at what it says. And it came to pass when he made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand. Now, what ensues in verse number 18 is this. Samson becomes weak. He becomes weak in different areas. He becomes weak in his flesh. He becomes weak in his faith. He becomes weak concerning the future. 
Now listen, this is a man who was not scared of 3,000 men of Judah, and now he's tore up about dying from thirst. This is a man who did not flinch at 1,000 Philistines, and now he's fainting because he doesn't have a drink in his hand. This is the man whose voice was just praising his power, and now he's pouting. Why? What happened? Here's what happened. He took that which God had put his hand upon, and he simply casted it away. Now I mentioned a minute ago, it is sad when you have a throwaway country, and it's sad to have a throwaway culture, but it's concerning when you have a throwaway champion for God. Now, I understand that jawbone wasn't fancy, and I understand that jawbone wasn't expensive, and I understand that jawbone probably wasn't popular. No other soldier would choose a jawbone, but that jawbone was what God had put his hand upon. It's what God had used to give him the victory. It's what God had blessed in the past. It's what God had used to make Samson the champion. The only reason he had cause to sing praise is because God had put a jawbone there on the scene that he could slay the Philistines with. I I thought about that jawbone, the provision of the jawbone. It was a new jawbone. That means it hadn't been laying there long. God had put it there on purpose for Samson to use. He equipped Samson with that jawbone. Then I thought about the performance of the jawbone. It did get the job done. A thousand men were dead, not because of a sword, not because of a spear, not because of chariots, but because of the jawbone of a donkey. Then I thought about the praise of the jawbone. He said, I got to test for a minute. There's not one or two dead Philistines. There's a whole lot of victory laying over there. There's a whole lot of blessings laying over there. There are heaps and heaps and heaps of dead Philistines laying over there. Now you'd think Samson would carry that jawbone the rest of his life, but Samson, I don't know why. I want to stop him and say, hey, God's blessing that thing. God's using that thing. God gave you the victory through that thing, but he took it and he threw it down and cast it away. He's so quick to cast it away. Now you say, well, there's no reason to keep it. Why not? Look in verse number 19. God used it again. That same thing that he cast away is that which God used again. Water came out to meet the need in his life. Let me say something here, and I'll apply it, and we'll go play basketball and laugh at those who are playing. I'm not playing this year. I told him I'll get hurt if I walk in there even. I'm going home immediately after the service. Brother Russ said, we have a bubble you could get in and go to the game. I said, we have one you can get in and come to church. Hey, Amen. I'm just kidding. I didn't say that to him. We should sell those at the front door, though, probably, for buckets. Bubbles for buckets for all the easily, all the easily offended Christians. Amen. God save us from being a throwaway society. But so much the more, God save us from having a throwaway spirituality or a throwaway mentality. There is absolutely, preacher, without denial, some things that God has had his hand on in the past that God is still using in the present that I think it would be worth our while just to keep our hand on a little while longer. I think there's some things that God has blessed you with and God has blessed me with that we'd be wise not to just simply cast away. I understand we threw away the iPhone 7 for the iPhone 8 or wherever it is now. And I understand we get rid of last year's shoes for this year's shoes. And I understand getting rid of the Dixie cups and the paper plates. But there's some things God has put in my life and in yours that we'd be wise not to let slip out of our hand. If you still want to have the victory, if you want to enjoy heaps upon heaps of blessings, if you want to win battle after battle, if God used it yesterday, I just reckon God's 
going to use it today. And I'm not talking about we have to go back to a decade ago. Or two. I'm just talking about some things that God has always blessed and used. I thought about this. It's sad. We understand the divorce rate so high. Don't, don't just throw it away. Young people, don't just throw it away, your relationship with your parents. And we can go that route. But I'm more concerned with things like the preacher preached this morning. It's amazing. I, I didn't know where he was going this morning, and he didn't totally know where I was going tonight. But I've got it written in my notes. You know, if the bus ministry used to work, I reckon it'll still work today. I think it'd be wise. Can I say there's been heaps and heaps and heaps of Philistines that have been slayed with that jawbone. I mean, you go back to, to the early in J. Frank Norris and those bus ministries and as they cranked up 50s and 60s and 70s and rolled. You think about the heaps and heaps of broken homes put back together and the heaps and heaps of hurting lives that have been healed and the heaps and heaps of lost souls that have been saved. Can I say keep swinging that same old jawbone. Don't be so quick to cast it away. You see the gas price is so high. Hey, what shall a man gain if he gets the whole world and loses his own soul? Can I say a soul is worth more than a gallon of gas? A soul is worth more than a Sunday nap? A soul is worth more than Saturday football? Hey, you keep swinging that jawbone. Don't let it fall. It's not time to exit. It's time to enlist. We need more, not less. Run the buses. Sweeten the jawbone. It still kills the Philistines. I think about soul winning. I'm glad we've been emphasizing soul winning. We always go soul winning, but we're just putting extra emphasis on it with Jesus every day and two, two, 22 and all these different things. But can I say that's because it still works. It does work. We can look out right now and I see people here. I see Brother Angel there. You've been coming since the first of the year. He called, texts me on Thursday. He said, where can I get some church clothes? And the night he went to, I sent him the men's warehouse. Seth Martinez hooked him up and he's got on a new tie and new shoes. Can I say it still works? I'm not going to drop that jawbone. I'm glad God still saves old sinners. I'm glad it's not just a song lyric. I'm glad it's good truth that if you'll fish from in every once in a while, you'll get a bite and bring him to the other shore. Hey, let's just keep sowing him. Don't drop the jawbone. Don't let it fall. God blessed it before. He'll bless it again. I think the same thing's true about preaching. I think there's a reason why those modern worship churches don't have Sunday night. Nobody wants to come back for that twice in a day. If I got food poisoning at a restaurant for breakfast, I'm not going to go back for dinner. <laughs> It's not my fault if they don't want to study enough for two sermons. You can only get so much life help, motivational speaking, Joyce Meyer junk. I mean, you don't want that. But the Bible, isn't it amazing in the Silicon Valley? I was talking to Pastor, Str Pastor Stroud. It's from the backside of nowhere. You type in his church in a GPS, and it says, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, it doesn't even want to get there itself. And he came here to the Silicon Valley, and you heard how he talks. He doesn't talk sophisticated like you and I do. <laughs> anyway, he's not like that. He's just an old country fella. But he was saying, brother, I think they liked it. And I liked being there. And I just felt like I fit. And I said, that's because this place has been built upon preaching. And I don't care if it's preaching with a twang or preaching with another accent. But if it's Bible preaching, he said, man, you can't go far around that place. But what you run into a pulpit, he said, brother Cooper, you got one in your office. There's pulpits in the practice rooms. There's pulpit in the golden grill. There's pulpit up there in the bridge and town. 
tower. There's a big old pulpit there in the church. There's a pulpit at the school. There's a pulpit in the college. That's because we don't have fashion department. We got preaching department. That's just what gets the job done. Can I say, young men, you keep preaching. You don't drop that jawbone. You don't have to have a PowerPoint, a praise band, and a bouncing ball. You just need a King James Bible, a backbone for God, the Spirit of God filling your soul. Clear off the spot. Say shame on the devil. Hair lip the enemy of God and preach the Bible. Don't drop the book. Don't drop the jawbone. You just keep preaching. I think prayer meeting still works. I don't think I'll drop the jawbone. If God blessed it before, he'll bless it again. That haystack revival was just a prayer meeting, but God got in it. Fulton Street was just a prayer meeting, but God got in it. And on Saturday night, we pick up that old jawbone. We don't let it lay there in the dust, but we pick it up so that God might pile heaps and heaps of Philistines on Sunday. We come to church on Sunday and see baptisms and souls saved. The bus is filled, but that's because we swung the jawbone on Sunday. Saturday night, thank God for some men that'll clear off some time to worship God and get on their face before him and cry out on behalf of our people and pray on Saturday night. Hey, don't drop it. It still gets the job done. I'm glad. Steve Jobs didn't throw out the iPhone. He didn't toss the Mac. Why? It worked. Henry Ford didn't toss the automobile. It worked. Thomas Edison didn't toss the light bulb. Why? Because it worked. So how in the world or why in the world would God's people be so flippant and so loose with that which obviously has had the hand of God on it? The problem is we don't have enough faith in God's ability to do it. So we think we have to manufacture it. Because if you had faith in God, then you wouldn't have to work so hard to put on a show to supplement the lack of God in the place. Tell me how it, thank you, Robert. I love Robert. At the right time, he'll say preach it, but also at the wrong time, he'll say preach it. And I love it. And for us, Robert, I love it both times. I like it when preachers said, some of y'all are going to get divorced, and Robert says, preach it. <laughs> Amen. I love it. I came over there yesterday to, to, to get you something from the office, and Robert pulled up, and he, he said, I'm going to tell Pastor. I'm gonna, he, he, he knows how to run this place. I love Robert. You got to get a haircut though before youth conference. <laughs> Don't drop the jawbone. I forget where I was, so I have to go on to something else. It still works. It, it makes no sense how a man can get up there in a pulpit, a wooden pulpit, with a, a King James Bible filled with archaic, out of date words. You know, preacher, it's just hard to understand. You know, <laughs> sing these hymns that were written in the 1800s, early 1900s. It makes no sense. How you can go knock on a door, somebody's eating their Cheerios, got whole milk dripping off their chin, and you say, hey, you know, you're going to go to hell if you don't get saved. They're like, you know what, I agree with that. That makes no sense. That's because it's not you doing it. And it's not the, it's not the people you see worship, the, the singers, the performers, whatever. It's not them doing it. It is the Spirit of God, the hand of God that gets the job done. That man preacher gave, that been in Billy Sunday's illustration, had a pearl of great price that he casually played with and let fall this is a pearl of great price yes, it is. and some of you young men could see it when I told the illustration because when I dropped it you, you tried to catch it you thought it was going to fall in your lap but let me say this this church is much more precious than that pearl and as foolish as that man was to play fast and loose with his pearl 
we cannot afford to play fast and loose with the house of God. It's a good day when you get over wanting to do church your way and you just say, God, I'll do it your way. And if God's hand has been on it, then I think God will do it again. Samson piled heaps upon heaps with the jawbone. But here's the warning. He quickly cast it away. Now the good thing about God is God's not us. Mercy, grace, long-suffering. And he said, Samson, you whiner. You used to be a warrior. Now you're a whiner. But I'm going to give you a well. And he said, that well is going to be from that same source where you got the victory before. And where you got victory before is where you'll find victory again. And here it is. We haven't drifted, thank God, from the jawbone. But if ever we find ourselves doing it, we better get back as quick as we can. Because if God blessed it before, he'll bless it again. In 2022, here's what I pray. And so much the more. Let's bow our heads, if you would. That's our Sunday night thought. I pray God spoke. Let's pray as a church tonight around an altar. Let's ask God to help us keep our grip on the jawbone this evening. Tighten your grip on that which God's hand is on. Don't let it slip. Sunday school teacher, bus worker, mom and dad, church member, all of us have to pull together. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.